So I'm not the pastor you expected to come to church today and hear. That's why it is so important that we spend the time going through God's Word. Because when we do that, we don't just look for those passages we like that tell us what we want to hear. But we actually are following, as many of you know, a few are visiting, but we have been working through the Gospel of Mark. And that's what we're doing again now. We're, we're taking the full counsel of God in that Gospel. We're listening to all the stories uh, from that Gospel. And this is part of the Gospel. Not a part we like. Not a part uh, that popular Christianity will spend a lot of time in. But we today are going to be true to God's Word. And we're going to glean from what we can learn with God's help from this passage. Now I can see it. Why are you looking fine? Uh, and, uh, and so we see this story. And, and you know, uh, I think about, as we read this, about troubles, about problems, about bad things happen to good people. Right? If you've lived any length of time, you know that bad things happen to good people. And part of it is the evil in our world, but part of it is just this fallen world. And I think the shock came for me, the reality check, was when we were off in Bible school in Germany, in Busan, And uh, I was seven months pregnant with our Caleb, uh, Sana from Denmark. They're now the GS and wife from Denmark. They were pregnant with our uh, godchild. And we were seven months along. Things were good. And we were in Bible school. We were preparing for ministry, right? And, and so, you know, we got God's blessing, and we got God's protection, and there was a couple from Portugal, and they had two girls that came, and we were excited about them coming, and she was pregnant, she was about, uh, not quite six months at this point, and uh, he was so excited, because they found out, we all celebrated, this Portuguese man was going to have a son, and he was so excited about the fact that this was a boy, he loved his girls, but this was a boy. <coughs> And then her water broke. And she was not far along enough to save the baby. And so we mourned as a school. Uh, we mourned there together as students. Here we were going in to try to console her when being seven months pregnant. And just the sense of that, the insensitivity of people, the insensitivity of the hospital that had put her on that ward with other mothers with their babies. I just, my mind was just boggled by it all. I was in shock. But the biggest shock was, but God, we're preparing for ministry. Like, we're the best, right? No. <laughs> but, you know, this, this idea that we've left country and we've left everything and, 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 and we've gone to Bible school and, the, and you're not supposed to lose your babies in Bible school. And see, it was tragedy, a terrible, terrible tragedy. Some of the best people have faced terrible tragedies. Jesus warned us of some of this, didn't he? When he said, in the world, read it with me, in the world you will have tribulation, but be good of cheer. I have overcome the world. See, we've been dealing with this the last few weeks. We've been dealing with the fact that Jesus went to his hometown, to his own, to the ones he loved, and they rejected him. Then we talked about the heralds being sent out last week, as he sent out the king's heralds, those twelve were sent out, and he told them to even expect rejection as they went into towns with this good news of the kingdom and the king, and they would 
reject them, and they were to dust the dirt off their feet. And now we see this terrible tragedy. But here, Mark wants us to see that Jesus now has lost his cousin. Jesus has lost the herald, the one who had come and was preparing the way for the king's coming. And so here he is now, and Mark is telling us the backstory. Mark is saying, let me tell you how this all went down. And so that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing Herod Antipas, Herodias, and Salome. He gives us the story. Now, the truth of it is there was Herod the Great. Do you remember Herod the Great? Where was Herod the Great? At Jesus' birth. Herod the Great, his father, was in power at Jesus' birth, but he was the scoundrel that had all those little children slaughtered and murdered in Bethlehem. And so we see that the, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so we see this son, Herod Antipas, and you say Herod in another name, because there was multiple sons by multiple wives, because his father would have them killed or have even the sons killed. He had some of his half-brothers killed by his father. You can imagine the mess. And so this web is spun even more so because he wants to be a king like his father, but Rome won't hear of it, and Rome sends him off to Palestine. And so as he goes to Palestine, he builds his great palace in the place called now, well, historically, Tiberius. And Tiberius was holy ground. It was sacred ground because it was burial ground, and he didn't care. He built his temple right there. That's like somebody going and building the church to the cemetery. This is what he did. He, he built right on that sacred holy ground, and he was supposed to be a king for the Jews, and he does something that gets them upset and so angry. He then decides to go to Rome. I think he probably would have to show up at Rome, because ultimately he is not a king chosen by God. He is not a king chosen by the people. He is a king that Rome chose, and so he has to go back and be answerable to Rome. And when he goes back to Rome, he visits his brother Philip. And while he's there visiting his brother Philip, he sees this woman Herodias. Now here's even more to the story. Herodias was also his niece. Because one of his other brothers, that was their daughter, his other half-brother. And so this is his niece that now is his sister-in-law. And he decides he wants her as his wife. And so he has his brother Philip killed. And he returns back to Palestine with Herodias and his stepdaughter, Salome. Now, unfortunately, John met them on the road, I would think, or somewhere close to it, or in the square. And John starts calling out, as a prophet of the Lord, he starts calling out their sin. And especially someone who's supposed to be in leadership. And he talks about the fact that they are not moral that what they were doing is indecent and it is wrong. And they're calling, he's calling, John the Baptist is calling it what it is. He's telling them it is sin. Well, of course, Herodias, with her new husband being brought, <laughs> is not liking this too much. And so Herodias now is becoming revengeful. She wants John shut up. She wants him silent. She wants him killed. Remember, these girls have been raised in a family and a home where power just keeps killing each other. So for her, it's nothing to see uncles were wiped out. It's nothing for her to say, well, kill that John the Baptist. I don't like what he's saying about me. And so she wants him killed. But somehow, Herod knows that he is a godly man. 
Herod respects him, even though he's very confused and living a very ungodly life. He respects John. So John is imprisoned, but John is imprisoned by Herod to protect him from his new wife, who happens to be his sister-in-law and niece. As the world turns. Conflict at home. Can you imagine the conflict in that scenario? And you think the Bible is boring? Like, this, Hollywood doesn't even share stories like this. That's what I'm saying to you. We need to follow the full story of God. We've got to see what's really going on to be able to understand it. You think today is evil? <laughs> wow. And so now it's the king's birthday party. <laughs> Happy birthday. I can't even imagine the mess that he's got himself in. And so it's the king's birthday party, and here's even now how it starts to just fall down even worse. His stepdaughter, Salome, now is asked to come and dance. You have to understand, this is a hardly clothed, erotic dance that was only usually for hired prostitutes as entertainment in a party. Now, we know those kinds of parties. Some of us were around those kinds of parties, and praise God, he set us free from that. So, can you imagine how demeaning that this young woman, your uncle, your, now your new stepdaddy, asks you to do as a young girl that kind of dance in front of all his guests. How demeaning, how terrible, as we see what Salome is putting through, being put through here. It says that it pleased him and pleased all the guests. We won't even go there. And so Herod now, probably drunk after much drinking, very impulsive, learns a very important lesson. When Salome danced for him and his guests, he made this dangerous and reckless proclamation to her. Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. Verse 22 and 23. And see, it is a promise that he will soon regret. We know that he regrets it because the beginning of our passage tells us that when Jesus shows up on the scene... The king actually thinks it's John the Baptist reincarnated. That's how, how, how after uh, he had John beheaded, that he is struggling with the reality of his life and what he has done. And so he thinks that Jesus proclaiming the kingdom and doing miracles is now, uh-oh, John the Baptist has come back to get me. And so he has terrible regrets, as we can see. And so the girl runs to her mother, and mama that wants revenge comes and says, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptizer on the platter. Verse 25. Can you hear the quiet in the room? The shock. What did she just ask for? And so in the minute, moments of that, we see this impulsiveness and these regrets. Herod is now left with an awful choice. He had to either go back on his word as a king, face ridicule and embarrassment, or take John's life. Now, for me, that's not a choice. 
Because to take a life, we would know is wrong. But somehow this king has fallen so far in his evil and what he's been through in life that for him, that's a choice. I have to decide now whether I'm going to lose face. Italians talk about that, but losing face. If I'm going to lose face with my guests or am I going to take a life? And so he decides to take a life and says, go and bring his head. Peer pressure. You know, it's a good place to talk about it as a church. We don't always talk about it. We teach about it in Sunday school. We try to talk to our young people. But my friends, it's not just young people that deal with peer pressure. When we live in small communities sometimes, even more so, and I talked about the Italian culture, there is this worry about what? What others will think. What others will say. Uh, I need to go with the flow. I need to do what everybody else is doing. And so we see the danger here of the king sitting amongst a bunch of guests, and here is a life in his hand. And because of peer pressure, he decides it's better to take the life. And oh, the regrets. Oh, the sleepless nights. The dreams of what he has done years later. And so we see the power of peer pressure, unhealthy relationships, and people who pressure us into doing things we should not do. And what does it fall to? It falls to compromise. I don't know if you can see that, but it says passivity, if not dealt with, will eventually lead to mediocrity, and it will rob you of being your best, and it will eventually put you in situations where you will compromise your Convictions. That is from Pastor Whale Afale Lumo. A quote from him. Compromise. Sadly, still to today. Sometimes, if we're not careful, trying to keep that position, trying to keep everybody liking us, uh, will have a pull on us. And then, before you know it, instead of standing up for what is right and making important decisions, that pull will drag us down into making decisions that we will regret for the rest of our lives. I praise God he set me free. I praise God today that I have been forgiven. But there were times in my life, and this is where we challenge our young people and, and, and the church, there are times I wish you could learn from my lessons, the mistakes I've made, the regrets that I had to carry until they were brought to the cross of Christ and I know that they've been paid for and I know that I am free. And I don't have the sleepless nights anymore. More. If the enemy tries to bring up those memories, I remind them who has paid the price for them. But regrets are a terrible thing. Impulsive decisions. Compromise. Peer pressure. Not standing up for what is right. And we see that Herod's story was one of impulse and pride and stubbornness. His love for power overruled his principles. And he was so concerned about how people perceived him. And God help us in this selfie world is even more of an issue. He had little regard for truth and integrity and morality. He definitely had no regard for life. And he had no regard for God. But there's another part of the story Something that's not written in the story. Something that you're not reading about, but it is part of this backstory. It's indifference. No one spoke up. 
No one. We don't hear anywhere here where somebody said something to Herod. Now, it's his birthday party. Now, there might have been a lot of people there that were special guests, but you would hope at your birthday party you had a few friends, wouldn't you? And you would hope as a king he'd have some trustful advisors who would say, Herod, don't do it. You're going to regret this. You shouldn't do this. Don't listen to her. Stand up and take a stand. No one said a word. That's kind of the world we're living in right now, isn't it? We're all just mute. We, we don't say too much. We're, we're afraid of what will be said or what will be interpreted. And I mean, there's a part for that. We need to walk wisely. We need to be careful. Make sure your words are God's words and not your own. That you've prayed about it before you say something. But indifference will swallow up the message of Jesus Christ if we're not careful. And so we see in this passage that they're just not, there's nobody who dares to say to Herod, don't do it. <laughs> just don't do it. My friends, I encourage you today to speak up when it's not popular. Your focus should be heavenward. Your focus should be about the king. Your focus should be about his kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world. And there are times when you're going to have to say to friends, sorry, I can't do that. That's not what my convictions are. I don't feel comfortable with this. But there will be times, too, when God's going to want you to speak up and say to those you know and your friends, are you sure you really want to go down this road? Do you know how many times as a pastor I love to be able to sit with people and say to them, but I know they won't listen to me, do you really want to go down this road? Because <laughs> we just know what comes down that road. And we want to prevent people from going down those kinds of roads of brokenness and regrets. And then we see what Mark is trying to do here is he is showing us these two kingdoms. Remember we said all about Mark is about the king and the kingdom. And he's showing us these two kingdoms. And he's showing us the sinful, shameful kingdom of Herod and his family and the brokenness and loss and murder, and then he's showing us the kingdom of God by the example of John the Baptist. And so this is what is being played out in this passage. And so John is this man of God. He's this man of God. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of truth. He's a man who stood up. He's a man who went counterculture. He didn't flow with everybody else. He flowed against what was happening, and he spoke out. And here he is in prison for it. See, something we don't want to believe will happen to godly people, men of integrity. And yet we see here for John, it is a reality that even though he is a godly man, he is facing and is in prison. And we shouldn't be surprised that Paul and others will follow in that same footsteps. Do you know, our days today are still evil. Some people say, oh, look how evil the days are today. Well, they were always evil, as we can see in John's day. Don't to make everything look so wonderful, and now all of a sudden they're evil. They've always been evil. And even we've been warned by Paul, as he warns his understudy, Timothy, about what will be happening in their day and to watch for it and to be careful. People are selfish and covetous. 
lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, and the list goes on and on. And Paul says to young Timothy, which we say to our young people, but also those that are young at heart, avoid <laughs> such people. Why? Because we're supposed to be different. John the Baptist was different. We're called to be different. Each one of us has to make a choice every day. Every day we have to say to ourselves, do we follow this king? Am I a part of his kingdom or am I a part of that king? And we have to make the right choices. And so following Jesus, being part of this king and his kingdom, is calling us to be different. There's actually a new worship song out there, though, the chorus goes on about being different. That we're called to be different. Yes, we're called to stand out. We're, well, the old term that was used, we're called to be a peculiar people. <laughs> Are you peculiar? <laughs> Not really a term we like, right? But what it's getting the point of is we are peculiar to the world, not to each other, hopefully. But we are peculiar to those outside that don't understand our principles, that don't understand our integrity and our morality, that don't understand the rules in our family are different than the rules in the families that we meet in school, or friends, that, or those that play hockey with us. That we're different. If we're going to be part of his kingdom, you can't have it both ways, friends. You can't be a part of his kingdom and be a part of the world. He told us that. And so we're called to be different. We're called to stand out. We're called to stand up. And so there's just some points, practical points, because of what we haven't read in this passage today, of the characteristics of being that person different, like John the Baptist, and people of God's kingdom, versus what we see in our evil world and people like Herod and his family. We are called to be pure. We are people of purity. We are people of sexual purity. That's what we're called to. That is what this kingdom is like. Not like the kingdom of Herod, like we see the culture of Jesus' day and Herod's day, where men had multiple wives. They, the pagan religions had uh, temple prostitutes. Uh, sex outside of marriage was very common with multiple partners. Things haven't changed. Remember I said to you, evil then, evil now. It's the same. But what's our calling our calling as part of the kingdom of God is to be pure. We don't treat others as objects for our own personal gratification. Like we see Herod did with his own stepdaughter. And her mother, her own mother, gave her daughter up for that, for her own evil desires. There's a world out there that treat people as objects. Not as persons beloved by God. We as the church of Jesus Christ, we are pure and we treat people purely. Do you know, we're told in Colossians 3, 5, Paul says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, 
and evil desires. My friends, I am not going to spend time today, but we have found out that pastors in particularly are falling uh, away from the ministry because of pornography. It's one of the greatest addictions out there today that is attacking the church, and not just the church, the leaders. Because it is that secret vice, people think, that can be done in secret places, and nobody will know. Well, he knows. Right? We are called to a life of purity. We're also called to be wise. All we see in this story today is foolishness. Foolish decisions. Foolish people making foolish uh, you know, Herodias is there, and she's angry, and she's unforgiving, and she wants revenge, and she now becomes irrational. Have you met people like that? Anger and unforgiveness has a way of doing this. That's why we don't let the sun go down on our anger. We forgive, and we give it to the Lord. Do you know, it's always funny that one of the greatest advices that are tend to be given to couples, I've seen it a lot, and I give it too, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Newly married couples, one of the greatest advices we can give. But it's true for all of us. We don't let the sun go down on our anger. We give it over to the Lord. We ask for forgiveness uh, for that person. And we, we, now that's a process. I'm not saying it just happens like that. But we entertain and embrace the importance of forgiveness. Because we realize how foolish rage can be. We see that the king was drunk and impulsive. This is why we don't take substances. This is why we do not take mind-altering substances because it puts you in a place of compromise and makes you impulsive and you make wrong decisions that you will regret the rest of your life. So that's why we live, as we talked about pure lives, we live pure lives that I don't need those things. I did those things. I had all of that. And I realized it's an empty cesspool that just brings you down to a place that you get up in the morning and realize you made decisions that night before you weren't even in the right mind to make. One of the scariest things about that lifestyle is you wake up the next morning and you have no recollection of what happened the night before. That's a regret. Because you don't know what you did. What you did to somebody. How did it happen? And, and I can tell you stories, but I will not at this point. My friends, we are called to be wise. And James tells us, if any of us lack wisdom, who do we ask? God. You're in a situation where you need wisdom. Wisdom. God will give you wisdom. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul said to the church in Ephesus, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. But like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand that the Lord, understand what the Lord wants you to do. So we're to be pure, we're to be wise, we're to be compassionate. These ones had no compassion. They had no sympathy, no empathy. They were not kind. There is nothing there but me, me, and me. And so it's so sad when we see people living for ego, living for self, living without care and concern and compassion. And so we, as God's children, are to be different. We are to show compassion. We are told in 1 Peter 3, 8, Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. We are to be different. 
in the way that we show compassion and care to those who even treat us poorly. That's why Jesus taught us that we're to what? Love our enemies. We're different. We're not like the world who wants, you know, evil for evil, insult for insult. Here's an important point. Be pure, be wise, be compassionate, and because of John the Baptist today, we can say, be ready. Oh, my friends, how important it is for us to be ready. We'd love to say that John was released and he walked away and he died as an old man in his bed. But unfortunately, that's not the reality. That's not this evil world we live in. John lost his life that day. He was beheaded. But I believe in the bottom of my heart that John retold this story because John lived different and lived a life that honored God and he was ready. Just like many Christians today around the globe are being persecuted for the cause of Christ, just like there are martyrs even still today dying for the cause of Christ, they're willing to stand up. They're not giving in and giving up. They're not compromising. They are taking a stand for Christ. Praise God, we are in freedom. I pray that you never have to face that kind of reality that John had to face. But John was ready. But see, the truth of it is, as has always been the truth, it doesn't matter if you die in your old age in your bed, or if somebody you die at the hands of a murderer. The call is the same call for all of us. Are you ready? We're to be ready. I was thinking this week how this story, it kept coming to me about my mother's passing, and this morning it finally dawned on me where God wanted me to put it, and it was right here. It's interesting how God moves, because at the beginning of the week, I had, I had ideas of how the sermon was going to go, and then it went completely in a different direction, but that story of my mom's passing kept coming back, as that story of that family that lost their baby uh, before six months. Mom, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, but um, many of you know, it was 2018. 2018 was a troublesome, difficult year for us. It will always be looked back as a year I would never want to go back to. And many of you know you prayed with us through that. Uh, the first thing that happened was dear Bernice that was like an aunt to me, which was my mother's maid of honor. And when she married my stepdad, Keith, she passed. We walked with her through cancer. And we were asked to do the funeral. And so we went through that loss. And, and, and so family came down. My cousin Peggy came down. Mom wasn't able to come. Mom was grieving up in Ontario. And so that happened. It was, it was not even two months later, I get the phone call from my uh, cousin Peggy that's like my sister to me. And so her daughter's always been referred to as my niece. And so she had just given birth to twins and a week later had died. While my cousin Peggy is in a wedding in London getting the call to come home not knowing that her daughter had passed. And I get the call. And so I'm quickly leaving to go up. Pastor Mike stays behind, and I go up to do this, this service for her, one of the hardest things I think I've ever done. Difficult. So difficult. And, and so I, we make it through that, and that one week that I had, I had one day with my mother, and Mom wanted to do gardening, so that's what it was. It was a gardening day. I was helping her with the big compost bags. That's what we did. And, and there was something that Mom said while we were driving around that day, and she had her big list of all the different things she wanted me to help her with. 
And, and she said to me, you know, I keep having these dreams. This is why I'm telling you the story. I had to back up to that. Now, this is seven weeks after I, uh, this is, uh, I'll be getting the call seven weeks after this day with my mom. So mom is sitting there in the car, and I'm looking out the window saying, oh, dear God, what is this about? Because mom says to me, I keep having this dream, and it's a, it keeps coming back and back. And I see, I see uh, my mother, and I see my, my husband, my stepfather, Keith, and, and they're there, and they're bidding me to come, and they want me to come through this window. And I don't understand this dream. And I wake up. But it keeps happening. Now, I'm looking through the car window at that point saying, Dear Lord, why is this? Mom is supposed to live another 10 years. Like, she goes to curves three times a week. She, she works out. She's one of the healthiest people I know. What is this? And I'm having this argument with God, right, right there at that moment. Because I'm understanding right away what this dream is about. So I leave it at that. I come home. Seven weeks later, we're at the Mill River having lunch when the call comes. And the call comes that mom had died through the night after having a party with all the family there because Aunt Vi was visiting from Wichita and Aunt Vi was much older and had a lot of health issues so everybody had to come to this party so this might be the last time they would see Aunt Vi. Aunt Vi is still living. <laughs> but they didn't realize that that was the last time they would see Nina who put the party on. Many of you don't know but mom had some back issues and so she was in the Lazy Boy, and she was in the Lazy Boy, because Aunt Fi was sleeping in the bed with her. She had a house full of people, and she didn't want to wake Aunt Fi, so she went out into the Lazy Boy and had her blanket up there, and she was sleeping, because that's where she could get relief for her back. Our son Stevie came in around 1 in the morning, and, and, and then at 7 in the morning, when somebody got up, they realized she passed. So somewhere in that time, between 1 and 7, Mom stepped from this world into the kingdom with the Lord. The waiting kingdom for the Lord, heaven, in his presence. And uh, she didn't even move. She didn't even try to get in the chair. The blanket wasn't even taken off her. Why did I tell you that story? Because we got the call. We had to... When I got the call, there was a piece that came over me. There was two things that came to mind. Well, she didn't wake up. This time she had a dream. And she didn't wake up. The other is, she was ready. Oh, my mom was full of life. You would have thought that it was not going to happen until years, but mom was ready. Mom lived every day that way. Are you ready? John the Baptist was ready. See, it doesn't matter if we dial a cruel death, and I pray we never do, or we die in a lazy boy after a party. We need to live our lives like John and the Baptist, who had no regrets. No regrets. Do you have regrets today? Will you give them to the Lord? Will you allow him to forgive you? Will you allow him to set you free? Will you live your life in such a way that you're willing to be different you're willing to pay the cost. You're willing to do no matter what needs to be done. We look at Jesus as our example. And Jesus has been our role model. And Jesus has faced persecution. And Jesus told us that in this world you shall have trouble. But take heart for I have overcome the world. And Jesus is one who had his own garden experience when he 
But what was his prayer? See, it's not about what I want or what I like. Ultimately, it's about what he wants. And Jesus himself went through that for us and shows us the example of how we live in an evil world, how we live in troubled times. And so my friends today, I try to do my best to get this message across. Are you willing to be different? Are you willing to be like John the Baptist? Are you willing to speak up and stand up for what is right? Are you willing to be one who is ready at any moment if the Lord should call? I'm going to live my life with no regrets. I'm not putting off tomorrow what needs to be done today. I'm going to live my life as an example for others that people can see and know that there's another way to live. And there is a king and he is coming. And I'm a part of his kingdom. I'll end with this as the worship team comes. One of the fun stories I heard one time, very profound, was someone who shared this story, I won't go to hell over breakfast. The worship team, yeah, you guys can come. It was interesting because there was a group of pastors up on the airport strip. We call it the airport strip up in Ontario there at the airport in Toronto. And so they were having a breakfast, and it was a buffet breakfast, they were having a conference, and they came in, and there was this beautiful breakfast buffet, and the pastors had all come, and they enjoyed fellowship and breakfast, and they were on their way to the conference, and so the breakfast had been paid for, and then there was the latecomer. We won't say which pastor that was, it wasn't that, wasn't that many pastors, so. But there was the latecomer. And uh, Mike's laughing at us, because it would have been maybe me. Uh, <laughs> And so the latecomer comes in, and the server meets him at the door, and the server says to him, you know what? Just slip in at the table. The buffet's there. It's all been paid for. No one will know. You can get a free breakfast out of this. And that clergy stood at this young man and said to him, you know what? I'm not going to hell for a breakfast. <laughs> well, he didn't realize when the revival was happening up at the airport, Strip. That young man had just given his heart to the Lord that past weekend. And as he had given his heart to the Lord, he was still trying to live out this Christian life and trying to figure out what it meant. And this pastor set an example for him that day. So much so, he took his break and he sat down with the pastor and the pastor began to disciple him. Because he said, I won't go to hell for breakfast. <laughs> My friends, God is calling us all to be different, to stand up, and to be ready. And so as we sing this closing song, if you want to do business with God today, if you want to just stand at the front or kneel at an altar and just say, you know what, Lord, here I am. I want to be ready. No regrets. I want to stand up. I want to have a voice. I want to be a person who makes a difference in this world. I want to be a part of your kingdom and for people to know it. I invite you to come. I believe I've done all and said all I can say today. And now we leave the rest to him and the move of his Holy Spirit. Let's sing and then we'll pray.